The first topic today gets submitted to us by Surrey. And Surrey writes, Hey, John, greetings from Malaysia. Well, thank you for writing in from Malaysia, Surrey. So, we are less than six months away from Spider-Man No Way Home, yet we still have not gotten a trailer or even a teaser. Um, could this be an indication that the movie might be postponed or is this an indication that the studio is still not satisfied with how the movie is progressing or am I just getting worried for no reason? All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in Surrey. And I don't think it's an exaggeration, Rob, for me to say that aside from the Dune trailer dropping, the most emails and messages and submissions I've had over the past week or two for topics here have been from people asking, where is the Spider-Man? By the way, you like my Spider-Man hoodie here? My Spider-Man No Way Home hoodie here? Got it from a little friend of mine. I won't say from where. Uh, But anyway... uh, the number one question I've been getting is, and by far the most numerous messages I've been getting is, where's the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer? Where is the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer? And, you know, it's funny because I feel like we discuss this all the time on the show. I know. But but it, it, it needs to be repeated because a lot of people are writing in asking about this. First of all, I would say this, Surrey, you said it yourself. The movie is over five months away. Yeah. It's it's still over five months away. Now, it is true that there are movies that will put out trailers that, you know, earlier than that. That is true. And it is true there was an era not long ago where, you know, sometimes they would drop trailers a year in advance and all that kind of stuff. A year in advance. But the reality is, In the very recent history, we have seen Hollywood more and more adopt a trend of shortening the window that transpires between when a movie's coming out and when they actually drop the trailer. It used to be this big of a window, but we have seen, thank God, we've been seeing a shrinking, shrinking window. Why? Because the studios have realized that there's no point in putting out, or they haven't completely realized it yet, but you see that the studios are starting to realize that there's just no point in putting out a trailer eight months in advance. Because any buzz, any pop, any excitement that comes from a trailer that drops eight months in advance is going to be gone. It disappears like mist, morning mist in the sunlight. It just evaporates and goes away after a few days or a week or two. And ultimately, they make not a single extra dollar on the box office by dropping a trailer eight or nine months in advance. When they could have waited till four months out, five months out, three months out, and then spent their marketing money, drop that trailer, get all that excitement that then can carry over into the box office because they're closer to when the movie actually comes out. The one other thing I also want to point out, though, about Spider-Man No Way Home in particular is that while this is a Sony movie technically, and Sony will make the decisions about when to release a trailer and how to market it, that's totally Sony's decision because they are the distributor of the film. But it is a movie that is in the MCU. And let's not forget 
that the MCU still has two other major films that are getting released between now and when Spider-Man No Way Home comes out. And if they're going to want attention to be focused on anything, they're going to want the attention to be focused on these two films. Rob, we got Shang-Chi coming out in September, dude. And it feels, dude, it feels so weird to say that it's coming in September. It's actually really close now. We were in July, August. We're like two months away, less than two months away from Shang-Chi coming out. I'm super stoked about that. But so they're going to want to be focusing their marketing attention. They want to create, focus their buzzing attention on Shang-Chi. And then even after Shang-Chi, we got the Eternals. The Eternals is coming out in November, which Rob, I know you're super excited about. I am. And then on December 26th, over five months away from now, let me emphasize that point again. By the way, our friend Rob uh, Loff uh, sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you for that, Rob. Appreciate that, man. Over five months, more than five months away from now, then comes Spider-Man No Way Home. So look, I, I actually, I think it might be December 17th. I'm not sure about that. The, Ray might have made a mistake on that date there. But at any rate, it doesn't come out till December, right? And we've got two other MCU films, granted Sony is the distributor, but still it's part of the MCU. We got two other MCU films coming out before that, that a lot of attention is wanting to be put on. There is simply, not only would I say that there's no reason to panic about there not being a Spider-Man No Way Home trailer. I would also propose, why should there be a Spider-Man No Way Home trailer now? It wouldn't make any sense. And Rob, that's not to say that we may not get a Spider-Man No Way Home trailer later today. Or this week, or maybe they wait until Shang-Chi comes out or whatever. But not only, I guess my point is, Rob, not only should we not worry about the fact that there's not a Spider-Man No Way Home trailer yet, I would go further than that and say there's bait. There's no reason for there to be one right now. But anyway, Rob, that's my take on it. Dude, it's understandable. This is a film that a lot of people are looking forward to, Rob. They're very excited about it. And so obviously everybody's very anxious to get their first look and taste of it. But, you know, you're hearing a lot of people asking, where's the trailer? Where's the trailer? Where's the trailer? How do you address this? Well, first of all, I think you made a lot of great points. I mean, I think we need to remember that the first Spider-Man Homecoming made almost 900 million worldwide. Far From Home made over $1.1 billion worldwide. Spider-Man going to be just fine. You know, no, no one, they, they don't need to, to promote this. And I'll tell you something else. If what we know about Spider-Man No Way Home is even half true, why spoil the surprise now? When you have two unknown quantities in Shang-Chi and in Eternals. These are new characters, new movies, movies not a lot of people know about. And I think they don't want people to be like, well... Great. I mean, uh, Shang-Chi and Eternals, what I really want to see is Spider-Man. Come on. I mean, if Spider-Man has the elements in it that we've heard rumored, we know Doc Ock is in it. We know Electro's in it. Who else is in it? Who knows? (laughs) But I mean, it's certainly pretty exciting. And I think if they showed a trailer, and by the way, like you said, they could drop one tomorrow. But I think part of the reason that we don't have one is because they don't want to steal the thunder away from unknown Marvel quantities. We don't want people to be like, well, Shang-Chi is just not nearly as exciting as Spider-Man No Way Way Home. So I think that's all probably part of it because they don't really need to promote Spider-Man this far out. 
they could start they could start promoting spider-man three weeks before it opens yep. and saturate the internet with trailers and people would go bananas that movie is a billion dollar franchise it's not like people are going to be like i don't know i'm not going to go see spider-man no way home everyone's going to go see it everyone loves spider-man kids of all ages john <laughs> so I, I i think that that's i think you're absolutely right uh on all counts they don't need to promote it uh they have other movies coming out they've got other marvel things to be excited about and yes it's a sony film and so but sony knows i mean you start with this kind of novelty if the stuff that's going on in this movie is really going on they want to keep it fresh and the closer they start promoting this movie with these kind of surprises i think the more they'll sort of whip everybody up into a, a frenzy a lather a, you know get us all excited uh so they don't have to promote it this far out uh and again remember this thing this thing could drop any second it could it could, drop and today. i wouldn't be surprised and i, I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised. surprised so i mean we're we're see because now rob we're in what i would call an acceptable range yeah. Like if you want to start putting out trails like five months out, I find that to be an acceptable range. It's just that once you get more than that, it starts to feel like you're just wasting your marketing dollars. So any any time now, guys, it could be a few more weeks. It could be another month and a half. It could be any minute now. But don't worry, a Spider-Man No Way Home trailer is coming. And I am looking forward to it. Question is, guys, what do you think about this? Have you been worried that we haven't seen a, a Spider-Man no way home trailer are you a little bit more like me where it's like relax the movie's still like almost half a year away how are you guys feeling about it jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts okay guys with that down let's move on to main topic number two shall we hey rob what is our second main topic today oh boy john eddie sanchez writes in and says hey john and rob did you hear the news that Warner Media has greenlit a prequel series to Dune for HBO Max called Dune the Sisterhood? It will have Diane Adimu John from The Haunting of Bly Manor as its showrunner and writer and uh, as showrunner and writer and Denis Villeneuve as one of its executive producers and uh, Villeneuve will also direct the pilot episode. What are your thoughts on this news and does this get you excited for the universe building of this franchise? Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> now, here's the thing people have to understand about writers and television. It's very hard to break into the television industry as a writer. So once you get into that club, you get to work within television, you meet people, you work on shows. Now, they don't necessarily put the best writers with the best material because if you've written on a show, uh, then you're in that club and you've worked with people and they're like, hey, you did a good job on this show. You can come over to this show. And if you look at Diana Dimujan's credits, they're quite extensive. And she has certainly earned her keep. She's written episodes for Crossing Jordan, yeah. 1-800-Missing, Medium, Body of Proof, well, the originals, which is a genre show, Empire, and then, of course, The Haunting of Bly Manor, which, in my estimation, was not nearly as good as The Haunting of Hill House. So now she's been hired to to direct or to write and show run Dune the Sisterhood. Well, I'm, I'm wondering if the people understand that this is based on one of the great science fiction works of our time. Uh, and I, I, I look at her credits and like so much modern science fiction, like modern Star Trek, 
The writing staff that they're hiring for these shows doesn't seem to have much of an affinity for science fiction. And Dune is one of the most densely world-built franchises ever. And the the idea of the Benny Gesserit sisterhood is basically, think of them as, they basically run the universe in Dune. And the what's really interesting is, is the female component of the Dune franchise is incredibly important to the overall universe. Uh, women are some of the most powerful people in that universe. So it makes sense that they would have a female showrunner. But when I look back at the work that she's done, I'm like, I, I mean, this is some incredibly complex world building that she has to achieve. And, you know, the thing about working on procedurals is there really isn't any world building beyond character. And as much as the characters are important to the show, the universe of Dune will be equally important. It's densely packed. It has a rich mythology that has been detailed over many, many, many novels. So I'm torn about this news, John. I think it's great that they're making this series. And I look, uh, I, but I see the potential of being ruined is enormous for any showrunner. And I'm hoping, look, I'm hoping maybe they know something I don't know. And that's why she became a runner on this particular show. So Variety reports, the show was ordered straight to series at HBO Max in June of 2019. And John Spates who was one of the writers of the Dune screenplay, which I thought was amazing, was going to be the original showrunner. Set in the universe of Frank Herbert's epic Dune novel series, Dune the Sisterhood is told through the eyes of a mysterious order of women known as the Bene Gesserit. Given extraordinary abilities by their mastery of the body and the mind, the Bene Gesserit expertly weave through the feudal politics and intrigue of the Imperium, pursuing plans of their own that will ultimately lead them to the enigmatic planet of Arrakis, known to its inhabitants as Dune. It will serve as a prequel to the films. The Bene Gesserit has been over generations trying to create the create the Kwisak Sarak, the super being. And they've been manipulating bloodlines for thousands of years, so they're badasses. And I hope that this show is really good, but I'm dubious, John. As excited as I am, I I don't see that there's anything in our producer's background here that leads me to believe that science fiction is something she'd do well in because she's never worked in it before. But that doesn't mean anything. And she's very experienced making TV, but the subject matter is like, eh, is she the best person for the job? I don't I, know. I, I would say this to this is that, number one, I, I understand you weren't as big on Bly Manor. And full disclosure, I never watched Bly Manor. My uh, wife did. She loved it. Like she, she was just, she was enthralled. Her and Corey would like just watch it and watch it. And they loved it. On top of that, I'll say this. This is going to sound weird coming from me. She did a show called The Originals. Now, for those of you who don't know anything about The Originals, The Originals, and hold on, try not to roll your eyes when you hear this. The Originals is a CW show that is a spinoff of The Vampire Diaries. I mean, how lame of a starting point does that sound like? But I'll tell you what, and I have no shame in this. I really like the originals. I thought what they did with the original, what she was able to do in a CW environment with a show that was a spinoff of Vampire Diaries, and I'm not trying to insult anybody who are fans of Vampire Diaries. My wife was a big fan of Vampire Diaries. But they were able to take that and do a very distinctly CW show 
mm-hmm. but build this great mythology of the original family of vampires and how their bloodlines work and how they have hopscotched throughout the ages and throughout the centuries. And it mainly focused on these two brothers named Niklaus and Elijah. And the one brother, Elijah, before Lucifer came along, before um, uh, Tom Ellis came along playing Lucifer, Elijah was in my top five favorite characters on television. I, I just, I love, even though uh, Nick Klaus was kind of more the main character, I, Elijah was like one of my absolute favorite characters on TV. I loved it. The, what they were able to do with that was great. And I'm reminded, Rob, of, and I brought this up a few times, when we had uh, Kevin Feige come into studio and I was asking him about James Gunn and, and you know, they, the fact that they went out and hired James Gunn to do Guardians of the Galaxy, a guy who had no experience doing anything with a significant budget. He'd certainly not worked on anything with any kind of a big visual effects sort of idea. He was familiar in a pseudo kind of way of the genre, but he had never done a true comic book property. And I remember asking Kevin Feige, I said, you know, I love James because he had done Slither. I mean, Slither is still my favorite film of James Gunn's. But I said, what, what was it about James? Like, the guy had never done anything like this before. And Kevin Feige looked at me and just said, a good storyteller is a good storyteller. And I just felt confident that this guy knows how to tell a good story. And if somebody knows how to tell a story, it doesn't matter about the budget. And it doesn't matter about the scale. Now, I don't know if I 100% agree with Kevin Feige, but he applied that same philosophy with the Russo brothers. Who the hell were the Russo brothers? They did you, me, and Dupree. And, and they did some television with community, nothing remotely similar to the comic book genre. But Kevin Feige, you saw in them that they were the right fit that were going to be able to work with him to bring Winter Soldier, Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame uh, to the big screen and its work. Now, am I sitting here telling you, Rob, that you have nothing to worry about? No. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not saying that, of course. You you put it best when you said there is so much that could go wrong with this type of source material. This this could go wrong a thousand different ways, and it very well may. By the way, our friend Jesse Keller sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Jesse. Appreciate that. Um so yes, it is. There's a lot of ways to go, but I'll be honest with you, dude. I When I looked over this girl's resume and I think back to some of the, the properties she's worked on that I've seen, I think, you know what? This is a lady who knows how to take source material in very different environments because like Empire was very different from Blyhouse. Blyhouse was very different from the originals. She seems to be able to step into different environments that have different requirements and she seems to be able to find a way that to make it work and make it pleasing to the audience to various degrees of success. So it could go really bad, Rob. It could go really bad. Yeah, but, I mean, look. But I, I, I like the addition. She's got experience. You know, she does have experience, and I, I have to give her that. Um, but I, 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 look, this is not just like any other TV show. And I would say, I think, you know, the originals, You what you said about the originals gives me hope because that's what this show needs. And you're dealing with an incredibly complex ideas. And I just, I want to see it uh, be great. Because if I, I love the idea that Dune is going to be sort of a property that's going to uh, move across, well, HBO Max and in theaters. I really think this universe is incredibly rich. And I, I'd love to see it realized in grand fashion. So 
Uh, I, uh, yeah, I agree. And I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. And, you know, you know, one of the guys that helped select her was Denis Villeneuve. He, he was one of the guys who selected her. So I, I think we should give her the benefit of the doubt for now, but I'm, I'm more worried, Rob, about the first thing you said, that this is the kind of story kind of like wrinkle in time. You know, they got a lot of great people involved with wrinkle in time, but there was a reason a lot of people always thought that was an absolutely unfilmable book. And, yeah. and it could have gone wrong a hundred different ways and it did go wrong. This is another one of those that could go wrong a hundred different ways. And we'll see question is for you guys. What do you think about this? I mean, we knew they were going to do this show. They've now moved forward. They've got their, their lead producer and their showrunner. How are you guys feeling about it? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. Uh, by the way, Donald Thomas sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Donald, for supporting us, man. Appreciate that. Okay, guys. With that down, let's now move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Dominic F., who writes, Hey, John and Rob, I know one of your favorite movie stars is Ryan Reynolds, and you've been looking forward to Free Guy, and good news, I just read a bunch of first reactions, and they're all really positive. A lot more positive than the Snake Eye reviews, and we'll talk about Snake Eyes in a bit here that I've been reading. Have you read the reactions? And if so, does it increase your excitement for the movie? Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in Dominic. And yeah, look, obviously I'm looking forward to free guy. Obviously Ryan Reynolds is right now my favorite movie star in the world. I'm not saying he's the best actor in the world, but he's my favorite movie star in the world right now. And I'm not going to deny that deny that part of that is because he's a good Canadian kid. Obviously that's a heavy part of it, but I just love what, Ryan Reynolds brings his stuff. And I love Taika Waititi. And of course, he's in this as well. Now, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I've been looking forward to Free Guy as much as I've been looking forward to No Time to Die or looking forward to Dune. I simply haven't. But I have been looking forward to it. But man, the reactions are coming out. And while they're not on the same level, Rob, as the reactions that were coming out for James Gunn's Suicide Squad the other day, the reactions that we've been getting for Free Guy are surprisingly strong. Like, surprisingly strong. Like, all over the place, they're saying it's funny, it's heartfelt, it's it's got, like, more depth to it than you think it would, because it just kind of looks like... I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Rob. I've been looking forward to this movie, but on the surface to me, it's looked a little bit like a poor man's Ready Player One. Like, a little bit of a cross between Ready Player One and... And the Truman Show is kind of what it, it's felt like to me a little bit. So, but but listen to some of these responses that we've gotten out of this. Mike Riaz wrote, Free Guy is everything I'd hope for and then some. Uh, Sean Levy, by the way, I really like him as a director. And uh, Ryan Reynolds have created a universe that is bitingly uh, satirical and heartwarmingly hilarious. I love this movie and I cannot wait to see it again because there are moments that will absolutely kill with an audience. Jacqueline writes, Free Guy is the best video game movie ever made, period. By the way, Free Guy is not a video game movie. Can we just be clear about that? It's not a video game movie. Anyway, still, even non-gamers will be entertained, funny and surprising, earnest. Uh, It harnesses every aspect of the gaming culture, the good, the bad, and the hilarious, and the ugly. Uh, Also, give me more movies with Joe Carey. He killed it. Uh, This one comes to us from Christina, who writes, I had so much fun with Free Guy. It's silly, funny, delightful, weird, and just all around made my heart happy. Ryan Reynolds and Jodie Comer, uh, who, of course, we all know Rob from um, 
Killing Eve, which Killing is a Eve. show that you turned me on to, by the way. You're the one who turned me on to that show, uh, are a great duo. Uh, then we've got Nikki writes, Free Guy is a joy and will be a hit. A video game movie. Again, it's not a video game movie. A video game movie that actually makes you feel like you're in a that you're in a video game. Ryan Reynolds is the movie equivalent of Ted Lasso. Glass half full, full of fab, one-liners, and so damn likable. Jodie Comer is a movie star, ahem, Marvel. Uh, clever and original surprises galore. And Rob, that's basically through all of them that I've been reading. That has basically been the general consensus that this is charming and delightful and funny and i've been hearing i don't know what but i've been hearing an ending with maybe some cameos that are going to blow people's minds i have no idea what it is (laughs) i have just been hearing that stick around to the very ending because apparently some something happens in this movie that is going to make everybody lose their minds i have no idea what that is Obviously, my imagination goes to he's going to come out in a Deadpool costume. I don't know if that's that's going to happen or not, but I'm thinking about it. So, Rob, obviously, I'm very happy to hear these types of reactions. By the way, our friend Late Fee Cinema sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Late Fee Cinema. Appreciate that, man. Um, so, yeah, Rob, this is this is really good. I'll be honest with you. I I didn't know what to expect from a first round of reactions because, again, it looks like it could be good. But it also looks like it could go south. And I I feel a lot better about this movie because I know when I'm seeing it. So I, I feel a lot better about this movie now that I've heard these early reactions. Rob, what has your expectation levels been like for a free guy? And and are you surprised to hear these? Are you not surprised? What are you thinking? Well, first of all, I think the, the premise of free guy is one of those perfect high concept premises that studios can come up with you know that used to be back in the late 80s and early 90s everyone was looking for those kinds of movies and i think the the idea behind it's genius i i i it's so clever and i love especially in this day and age we live in the golden age of video games so far what's not to love and with ryan reynolds playing the role it's perfectly cast and so i you know you look at that when he puts the glasses on and realizes he's in a video game i'm like okay I, that, that to me just appeals to me on so many different levels and it looks really good. Like it looks like they took, you know, sometimes when they have a really good premise and then it's, they don't deliver on the premise. There's so many different ways they could go with it and they just don't go any of those ways. It looks like they've really examined this idea from all different angles and that it looks like to be one of those things you go into the theater and you get everything you might've possibly wanted from the idea behind this movie. So that's what it looks like to me. It looks like a gloriously successful idea that, that they put everything into it. It worked perfectly. That's kind of how I feel about about it. And I'm actually way more excited to see this movie than I thought I would be. But each successive trailer has shown me more things. And I'm like, okay, this movie's really clever. The people that made this movie took their premise and they delivered. That said, uh, knowing that there's even more craziness that they haven't told us about just makes me that much more excited. I don't know why, John. I'm I'm really excited for this movie just because, you know, it looks like they just took the idea and delivered on, on the premise. And that I love that, even though it's a high concept premise. And and I just think it looks like they really nailed it. Yeah. And, and that's know, ex- that's exciting. It my excitement started to bump up for it quite a bit when they put out that Deadpool and Korg 
do a trailer reaction Dude. for the guy. I mean, that's hey, one of the most on. brilliant things that they've ever done. But I, I want to address this for a second because I, I've been seeing a lot of people calling this a video game movie. This is not a video game movie. It A video game movie is a movie that gets built upon a pre-existing video game, much like a comic book movie is a movie that takes a comic book or a graphic novel and then transfers it and turns that into a movie. That's why I often tell people like The Incredibles is not a comic book movie. It's a superhero movie for sure, but it's not a comic book movie. Wreck-It Ralph is a movie about a video game, but it's not a video game movie. They didn't have a pre-existing video game that they say, let's take that IP and turn it into this. Any more than they can always say a movie is a novel adaptation. Well, that's because there was a novel, they took it and adapted it. A video game movie, by definition, is when there is a pre-existing video game and a studio decides, let's take that IP and turn it into a movie. So while Wreck-It Ralph, uh, Free Guy, these are game, these are movies about video games, but it's not a video game movie. Anyway, it's a semantic thing, but but it, it, it irks me, Rob. It irks me when I hear people calling a movie that's not actually a video game movie a video game movie. This was an original concept from the start and they rolled with it. So anyway, that's just that, but whatever you can call it, whatever you want to call it. Question is for you guys. What do you think about these reactions that we're hearing for free guy? I mean, they sound a lot better than I was anticipating. Maybe not as through the roof as suicide squad is sounding coming from Warner brothers, but this sounds really good. And I am very excited to see, especially hot on the heels of that Deadpool Korg reaction video. Uh, that they did. I thought the marketing for this is really ramping up and it's looking great. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, I want to go into a fourth main topic today. Uh-oh. And Rob, forgive me for this because I know you haven't seen Snake Eyes yet, but I'm going to let you guys know right now that I am about to talk about Snake Eyes. And I'm going to talk about it in a spoilery kind of way uh, that I'm going to be giving away some of the plot details and things like that. You can believe me or not when I tell you it doesn't matter. <laughs> you can believe me or not when I tell you it doesn't matter. But I, I do want to give you guys this opportunity to either uh, call it a day for the John Campia show today or to check out for a few minutes and come back when we're doing the live comments and questions. But I do want to give you that heads up and a little bit of a warning. So, Rob, last night, very excited. You know, every day that I wake up knowing I'm going to the movies that day is a good day. And so I woke up yesterday with a skip in my step, you know, my heart beating a little bit faster, a smile on my face, because I knew later in that evening, me and Ann were going to go over to the movie theater and we were going to go watch Snake Eyes. We planned a night out of it. We went out for dinner. You know, we're all excited about going to see Snake Eyes. You know, I've loved the trailers, particularly the like the last trailer did. I really liked. Me too. Um, I, I really like, Co I think his name's Koji, the guy from Warrior who's playing Storm Shadow. And I think Henry Golding is a bonafide movie star. I think Henry Golding is a bonafide movie star. And so I've been very happy about going to go see this. Oh my God. This movie's bad. This movie is bad. Let me start with the first thing. For you, those of you who saw my... Uh, my quick out of theater reaction to the to the movie that I posted last night. Let me start with the first thing. The main thing I was looking forward to in this movie was the action. I think that's what they were trying to sell the most in the trailers, and that's what we we're expecting the most. However, 
What you quickly learned was if I'm the cinematographer and this is the camera, the cinematographer, apparently I'm, I'm concerned about his health because I think he was having a massive attack of nervous tics because all the action was being shot like this. Woo! Look at him go! Wow! Look how exciting this is. I'm like, I, did somebody, is somebody holding a sword? I, is there one guy or 10 guys? I can't tell. The damn, what what I was last couple of years starting to feel like they've Hollywood has finally gotten rid of the cancer of shaky cam is back and alive and well, Rob. Shaky cam. Don't know how to make an action scene look exciting? No problem. Just shake the camera around. Everybody will love it. Nobody fucking likes shaky cam. Nobody likes shaky cam. And I, it was so frustrating to me watching this movie. Now, now there were some scenes. I want to give it credit where credit's due. There were some scenes that did it less than others. But a lot of them, like there's this big warehouse fight scene where it's like Storm Shadow and and uh, Snake Eyes fighting like 50 Yakuza warriors, right? Like fighting out 50 or 100 guys. But the whole time, the fucking camera is doing this. Woo, woo. Oh, look what's going on, guys. Isn't this exciting? I don't know. Maybe it's exciting if I could tell what the fuck was going on. And it's like, you hear swords clanging and like, okay, I guess there's a sword fight going on, I guess. But Rob, and I mentioned this in my in my video earlier, I kid you not, there's even, this is an example. There's a scene in this movie where Scarlet, played by Samara Weaving, who I love her, is literally just walking down a hallway, talking on a phone. Just walking down a hallway, talking on the phone and even then the camera's like i'm like what what are we what are we doing what are we doing here like i, I like I, are you just trying to make us sick or are you just trying to hide the fact that you had terrible set design i'm not saying the set design was bad i'm just but it leaves me wondering do you have terrible set design and you don't want us to notice it you certainly don't want us to see the action so there's that and Rob, if that was the only problem with this movie, if it had a great story and all this kind of stuff, I could live with it. But Rob, here's the problem. This is what I said to Anne coming out of the theater. I said, it's really hard to like a movie when you don't like the hero. And it's really hard to like the hero when your hero is actually the villain of the film. Snake Eyes is an unmitigated asshole. He, I was cheering for Storm Shadow to fucking kill him by the end of this movie. And the whole movie, I just felt shitty for Storm Shadow. Like Storm Shadow literally gets screwed over three times in this movie. Storm Shadow is the hero of this film. He is honorable and good and takes in Snake Eyes. You know, Snake Eyes lost the, the whole setup of the movie. Is he lost his father when he was young. He saw his father murdered when he was young. And he's been on a lifelong quest to get revenge on the men who did it. And now Cobra has kind of offered him a way to get. They say, we've got the guy who killed your dad. We'll give him to you if you go and screw over Storm Shadow and his clan. And by stealing this sacred thing that could destroy the world. And here's the thing. Snake Eyes knows. He finds out. He doesn't know it first. 
But he discovers that, oh, I'm actually working for this international terrorist organization that are killing people all over the world. And he still decides I'm going to work for them. So number one, he screws over Storm Shadow by getting in, by getting inside, right? Storm Shadow's the head of this giant clan and they welcome him in his family. And then they find out later that his actual motivation is to try to get revenge for his father. And so they're getting ready to cast him out. But then Snake Eyes says to Storm Shadow, but listen, I'm sorry I lied to you, but I vow on my life. I will be your brother. And they both cut their hands and they become blood brothers. And then he fucked him over again. He fucked him over again. And which, which leads ultimately to Storm Shadow at the end being kicked out of his clan. And at the end of the movie, I'm just like, I fucking hate Snake Eyes and I feel terrible for Storm Shadow. It's just so... When, Rob, it's hard to like a movie when you don't like the hero, and it's hard to like the hero when he's actually the villain, and he's actually an asshole. And I just, it, and, and by the way, little nitpick, the name of this movie is Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins, right? Yeah, okay, G.I. Joe Origins, great, we're going we're gonna to see how G.I. Joe gets started. Well, then you find out in the movie, G.I. Joe and Cobra have both been around for like three decades They've already been doing their, they've been around forever. So I'm like, what the hell, what the hell is with the title G.I. Joe Origins? This has nothing to do with the beginning of G.I. Joe. That's a minor nitpick, minor nitpick. Um, There are, first of all, let me say this, Henry Golding, it's really too bad because I think Henry Golding did everything he possibly could with this. Andrew Koji playing Storm Shadow did, he played it great. Andrew, I am becoming a big, big fan of Andrew Koji. Um, uh, Eco from, um, from The Raid playing uh playing strong master very solid i love peter mensa peter mensa played the doctore in um in uh spartacus and he plays blind master in this i've always loved this guy he delivers he's got an awesome presence on screen that i love seeing uh and he was great some of the background and the mythology set up for Storm Shadow's clan with like that is run by his grandmother, who's a freaking badass. A lot of the mythology they set up was actually there was some decent mythology there that they could have done something with. They could have done something with it. But it's just like Snake Eyes literally screws Storm Shadow and the entire clan completely over, leading to tons of them dying. And at the end, they're all just cool with them. Okay, okay, Snake Eyes. Yeah, you're you're a good guy now. We like you. I'm like, fuck that. Storm, we're Storm Shadow. Come and fucking stick your sword up this guy's ass. Because this guy's an asshole. Anyway, I I was so I was so disappointed in this movie, Rob, because you know how excited I was for it. I was very I, excited. I, I I I was too. I it's just now, I don't know, maybe. Maybe the one good thing that's going to come out of this, guys, is that me telling you how how bad of an experience I had with it, maybe the good that's going to come out of this is that your expectations are going to be so lowered that you'll go in to watch it and it'll be better than you thought it was going to be. I mean, that's that's the best I've got right now. That Dude, is the- <laughs> on RogerEbert.com, one of the quotes is, Snake Eyes is a dire checklist of cliches that were already gathering moss back in the 1980s. <laughs> and here's my look. 
I don't want it's it's not the worst movie of the year. It's not it's not Thunder Force. Um, it's not there, there's a couple others that I thought were worse, but it's just that when the potential is so good and you have so many good pieces to work with, and you've got a great world that you can a great playground that you can play around within. And Rob, if they just did one, they didn't even have to do both. If they just did one of two things. Don't make Snake Eyes a complete unlikable asshole. Or two, hold the damn camera still as you're doing your action scenes. If they just did one of those, I probably still could have walked out with having a decent time. But the fact that they effed up the story for me by giving me a completely unlikable protagonist, and they didn't even give me pretty action to watch because they refused to let me understand what I was seeing... With their, you know, I guess the cinematographer was sick and they got an epileptic monkey to come in and, <laughs> you know, I, I just, I don't know what to do with this movie, dude. I don't know what to do with this movie. It's just so bad. Oh, and by the way, by the way, you know, that one great spot, <laughs> Sorry. you know, that one great spot in the trailer with that we love where we see Andrew Koji going. Call me Storm Shadow. Yeah, yeah, that's a post-credit scene. No, they showed the post-credit scene in the trailers. I kid you not. I can't make this shit up. <laughs> I, I just, I can't make it up. So, yeah, man. I just, I, I'm really, I'm disappointed. By the way, uh, Dragon Ten sends in a super chat badge in the live chat there. So, I, Rob, uh, look, I, what, what has your expectations been for? <laughs> for snake eyes and how are you feeling after hearing my kind of details on it well dude you know i maybe this has disproven my adage that everything can be made better at least 25 percent better with the application of ninjas yes and i was really hoping that was the case here uh but with you know i should have added to that that the action scenes with ninjas have to be well shot and you know ninjas are elegant and ninjas really know what they're doing so if you watch a cinematographer shooting ninjas with a bunch of shaky cam the expertise of ninjas is diminished by the epilepsy of the dp and i don't i don't want to see that uh i i want to see ninja action shot elegantly like you know the way kurosawa used to shoot samurai movies but i guess i guess that isn't the case so i i don't want to see this movie now yeah, you you on this show, you have completely eradicated any desire that I have to watch this movie. Oh, and can I tell you one more bad thing? One more bad thing. One yeah, of because I'm already done. One You've of the worst me. plot things they did in Fast Nine was obviously like when John Cena. The only reason John Cena gets back with the family wasn't because he had a change of heart. It's because the other bad guys screwed him over. And so, okay, I'm a hero now. I'm a good guy now, right? And which was like so eye-rollingly bad that they would do that. Like the only reason John Cena was with, back with his brothers is because the other bad guys screwed him over, not because he had a change of heart. Same thing happens in Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes realizes that Cobra really effed him over. Like there wasn't any point in the movie where Snake Eyes goes, has this epiphany of conscience and goes, you know, no, I've got to. I got to live with honor. I've got to go back and help this fit. No, it's when he gets screwed over by Cobra that he goes. Well, I guess I'm a good guy then, and and then it's like ah, 
I just wanted to scream in the theater. I just wanted to scream. And then Ann and I felt envious, envious, Rob, of this dude sitting behind us. I don't want to be stereotypical or anything, but this dude who was tipping the scales at about 3.30, had a half-eaten bag of popcorn in his lap and started snoring about 45 minutes into the movie. Uh, granted, he was snoring very, very quietly. It, was a very, it didn't annoy us. It was a very quiet snore. But by the time we were getting close to the end of this movie, I was envious of the dude behind me, wishing I had slept my way through this. So anyway, and by the way, I just want to say, after I put up my, uh, my quick out-of-the-theater review, a bunch of people wrote in to say, hey, John, did you just copy Jeremy John's video? Because he said the exact same thing. I do want to point out my video went up five hours before Jeremy's did. And by the way, <laughs> in no way, shape or form did he copy me either. I'm not saying, suggesting that. I just want to point out that my video went up like six hours, five or six hours earlier. Anyway, um, yeah, I was just so disappointed. And listen, all film is subjective. Just because I didn't like it, guys, doesn't mean you won't like it. Like, you may go watch it, and you may have a good time. And honestly, I hope that you do. But for me, it was just, man, I was disappointed. I was so disappointed. So I hope, I really do hope this franchise is dead. I, I hope this kills it in its tracks. And I hope they go back to the drawing board and say, let's give take another kick at the can in it in about four or five years. Relaunch it again. Just like Hasbro is relaunching Power Rangers again, give it another shot in a couple of years. But please end this one where it is because it's just no good. Anyway, guys, that's my thoughts on that. What do you think about my thoughts on Snake Eyes? It is, of course, out in theaters now. Probably many of you guys probably already saw it. What did you think of Snake Eyes? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. And you know what, dude, I've got a couple of friends who are artists. I should actually call them up and say, can you design a T-shirt for me with epileptic monkey hold as a cameraman holding a camera? I want to see that. Oh, shirt. dude, I want to get I that. Want shirt. that. <laughs> anyway, guys, what we'll do now is we'll move on and take your live comments and questions. How do you get a live comment or question read here on the show? It's easy. Simply go down into the description of this video and you'll see a tip link. Click on that. Or you could enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Uh, you'll be able to get a comment or question here on the show if, of course, it's appropriate for the show. And, of course, you'll be supporting this channel at the same time. And all of us involved here with The John Campus Show, thank you guys so much for your support. All right. And don't forget, guys, there's a big companion video that went up this morning because I forgot to set it to public last night. So go on over and check that one with Rob a little bit later. But we're going to pick up where Rob left off. So let's get things started here. And we're going to start things off here with Tim Tracy, who writes one of two. Hey, John, uh, no, really, nor really movie news. Oh, probably meant not really movie news, but exciting. Nonetheless, Dead Space. A long dead franchise is getting a remake for the next generation consoles. I love the trilogy and always wanted a remaster, especially now with PS5's heptic feedback in their controllers. At one point, I think even John Carpenter was interested in making a live action movie based on the games with practical effects. Have you heard slash played these games? Uh, they're really good for the horror player out there. Thanks and have a great day. I have never played them, but I like I know our friend Dennis has played them, Rob. I have never played these ones. I'm very aware of the games. I've never played them myself, so I don't really 
have knowledge of that. But I mean, if you're a fan of an older game, I always get excited to find out there's going to be a remaster of it, like to bring it up to date with modern graphics and things like that. So that can be exciting. Have you ever played uh, this Dead Space series, Rob? I know the game, but I've never played it. Never played it. Never played it. Oh, yeah, neither have I. But anyway, I'm super excited for you, Tim, and I hope you're able to get your hands on it and play it soon. All right, next up, Xavier Prime writes, I'm so down for real YouTubers of the interwebs. Maybe at least uh, uh, make it a parody and having James Gunn or Taika Waititi producing slash directing and post it on YouTube. LOL, great idea, Aaron, and congratulations. Well, I'll tell you what. True story, Rob. Back when I was... Still at, I believe it was Collider. I, I don't think it was AMC anymore. It might have, it might have been back in the AMC days. It may have been in the Collider days. But we actually had real discussions about the possibility of doing a series about online film journalists, and not one that we make, like like a, a real, real studio coming in and maybe doing a series, like a streaming series about the adventures of online journalists, you know, because the basic premise of following a dude or a couple of dudes, you know, who their job is every day to go to these stupid press junkets and talk to celebrities and the dramas that unfurl, it was, there were actually early discussions about that. It never actually went anywhere. Uh, Probably it's a good thing. Probably it's a good thing that never went anywhere, but it, it was something that was discussed. So maybe Xavier Prime, your dream of, the real YouTubers of the interwebs, it may not be far away. It may not be far away. All right, next up. Uh, James Hoffman writes, John, please don't give up on Superman and Lois. Too late. I'm already given up on it. Uh, Diggle is only one cameo in one episode. Uh, don't let uh, one little cameo ruin a good show. This Superman is different. He's not a jobber in the show. Episode 13 is good. Please keep watching. Rob, I don't know if you saw the tweet I put up yesterday, but I finally got around. I'd only watched Superman and Lois up to episode 11. I hadn't had a chance to watch episode 12. So I, and you know how much I've loved this show. I finally sat down yesterday to watch episode 12 and then the character from Arrow, John Diggle, shows up. And I love the character. Make no mistake, I love that character. And I'm I'm forgetting the name of the actor who plays him, but we were going to have him in studio at one point. He's very good. I love him in the role. I love that dude. I like the character. I do. But have you ever had something, Rob, where it's like, Oh yeah, something's going really well. And it's not that something goes badly, but something happens that totally reminds you and it just changes your perception of everything and it kind of ruins the mood. For me, John Diggle showing up in Superman and Lois was that. It's not that he was bad, not at all. It's just that it reminded me again. See, I was living in this blissful little fantasy world, Rob that this Superman was in no way, shape, or form connected to the Arrowverse, was in no way affiliated with the jobber Superman that we had in that. I got to live in this fairy tale fantasy that this was a completely new thing. It was a completely new thing. And when John Diggle showed up, at first I was like, oh, I like this guy. But about 30 seconds later, I realized I just wanted to turn the show off. Not because they were doing anything wrong, But just because for me, all I saw was the Arrowverse now, and all I saw was the Jobber Superman, and it just spoiled it for me. 
And I'm not blaming them for it. I'm not blaming anybody. That's just me. That's just me and my own personal experience. I'm not saying anybody else shouldn't like it. I'm not saying anybody else shouldn't love it. But I sat there and I just realized I don't want to watch this show anymore. It wasn't a choice. It's just that that's how I felt. It's like I I, I have no enthusiasm for continuing to watch this show. I'd rather just load up YouTube and look for some random videos. And I tried to hang in there for another couple of minutes. And I just realized my enthusiasm for this is gone now. I'm not saying that's how I should feel. I'm not saying that's how I shouldn't feel. I'm just telling you that happened and it completely soured my, my experience with the show. And I'm not telling anybody else to stop watching it. Not at all. And it doesn't change the fact that I love the first 11 episodes. I'll just go on Rob thinking of Superman and Lois as a wonderful 11 episode limited series. And I'll just remember it as such, but I, I don't think I can watch it anymore just because my experience has been tainted now. I know Rob, if you ever had an experience like that with like a movie series, a property, uh, anything like that, can you think of anything? The first season of Star Trek discovery, when rain Wilson shows up playing Harcourt Fenton mud, who was a character <laughs> that appeared on two episodes of the original Star Trek. And he turns out to be a gleeful murderer even though there's a time loop and all that, I, I'm like, I hate this. I, 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 I hate, I hate this show. I hate this portrayal of the character. I can't believe that they're mining Star Trek history in this way. Um, it, it sent me down a path of, uh, you know what? I, I've become a Sith Lord when it comes to Star Trek discovery and every decision they've ever made on that show, as it further and further drew me in, made me hate it more and more and more. And it's gotten to the point where I still watch it, John. I watch it, but it gets me in touch with emotions I don't have in my normal life because normally I think I'm a well-adjusted, nice person and I, I have a lot of empathy for my fellow man. But watching Star Trek Discovery allows me to understand what seething rage and hatred feels like. And once I watch it, I purge those emotions from me and I go back to being a nice guy. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. So unfortunately, I got, I got, I, I, uh, I, I just, I just, my the joy of watching Superman Lois was just not there anymore. I again, that's not a choice I made. That's just, it just soured it for me. So eh, it is what it is. All right. Next up, uh, Brooks Kirk writes one of three. Uh, hey, John. Uh, hope you're doing well, my friend. My uh, been meaning to write in for a while now. I've just been busy. I had a blast in Huntington Beach on the 4th. I got into L.A. and I saw the Chinese theater. Oh, that's right. You were writing in and asking what should you do when we mentioned the Chinese theater. Uh, like you suggested. Took the tour, but we didn't see a movie. Uh, we didn't see a movie there, unfortunately, since there was nothing to see there for me. I had already seen Fast 9, and In the Heights was not playing there. The tour was nice, and inside was beautiful. I did go to the AMC theater on Universal City Walk. And uh, by the way, I got a quick story about the Universal City Walk. Uh, and saw In the Heights there. Very nice theater and a very good movie. All in all, it was a good vacation. Visiting L.A. and Huntington was nice, but I'm not sure I'd ever want to live there. Texas is my home. Always will be. Uh, Black Widow was good. Can't wait for Dune. Thanks. Well, I'm glad you had a good time, Brooks, and thanks for sharing your thoughts. So, yeah, Rob, you know there's an AMC theater at Universal Park, right? At Universal City Walk, there's the AMC Universal City Walk. What not a lot of people know is when I was... I was already doing AMC, but we didn't have any offices. Like the first year that we were, that I was running AMC, we were all me and the, the couple of staff that I had, we were all working from home. And 
I finally told them, look, we need some studio space because we need to do video because we were just doing articles at the time. I said, we need to do video. We need to push in this direction and we need some studio and office space. So they offered up to me three possibilities. The AMC Burbank 16, which obviously is what we ended up going with and that kind of became iconic for us. The AMC Century City, which wasn't really practical, but the AMC Universal City Walk was was one of the options and it came down to for me picking between the amc burbank 16 and the amc universal city walk and we almost had our amc movie news and movie talk studio and offices at the universal city walk uh but we just ultimately decided that access was way easier and stuff like that in burbank so we actually ended up going to burbank so that's my little story about the amc universal city walk okay uh next up We've got um, Sam Fisher writes regarding Michaela Collins starring in Black Panther 2. Uh, there is a villain named Zenzi in the comics who leads a militant force allied with a rebel movement moving to abolish Wakanda monarchy. She also has ties to Killmonger in the comics. Collins could be playing her. Well, I mean, yes, Sam, but Rob, I don't know how you feel about this, but she could be playing any character, any character at all. She might even be the new Black Panther. She could even be... Rob, this came up yesterday with Aaron, but she could be the new Storm. Now, for a long time, I've been saying that, look, we're not going to be getting X-Men in here because Kevin Feige had his five-year plan, but the plan for Black Panther 2 went out the window. The plan for Black Panther 2 that Kevin Feige had three and a half years ago, that's gone, obviously with the passing of Chadwick Boseman. And they went back and rewrote an entirely new Black Panther 2. I'm not saying she's going to be Storm. All I'm saying is that that's a change that could make it theoretically possible that they could. Of course, the drawback of that, Rob, is that, well, without T'Challa there, what's the point of having Storm there? So there takes that out, too. So could it be a Zenzi? Sure, but it could be absolutely anybody. Rob, you heard about Michaela getting cast in, in this movie. There's some speculation she could be the new Black Panther or it could be one of a hundred other characters. Do you have any thoughts on, on where they could go with that? Well, I think she might be the character that resurrects Killmonger in the comics. Oh. And uh, if that's the case, that's how they bring Michael Jordan back, <laughs> which could be pretty cool. Um. But, uh, you know, that I don't think she's going to be the new Black Panther. But uh, you, you, never, <laughs> you never know. I mean, if they bring in a character that, I mean, it's canonically feasible in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that Killmonger gets resurrected. And I think that's an interesting way. Like, first of all, Michael B. Jordan is, I, I you know, I, you, I, my, my love for Michael B. Jordan is limitless. So I would love to see him come back in a very, in a capacity. People have talked about it. I, I just think that, of anything they could do, Michael B. Jordan has the kind of star power, and within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, the comic universe, they have a way to bring him back. And this character could actually play that. Th they, this character could be the person who does it. All right, let's move on here. Next up, uh, Ryan G. writes, Hey, John, long time no talk. Uh, a few weeks ago, I watched Black Widow on Disney+, Plus, and I got to say the movie is not worth the $30, but, oh well, I watched it anyway. The movie is not great for me. Uh, it's at the bottom of the MCU next to, two Iron Man, next to Iron Man 2. The parts I liked were the ones uh, with her sister and the flashback at the start of the movie. The, the flashback at the start was pretty good. I, I, I'll give you that. Uh, the only scene I don't like 
uh, is when they're talking about the stupid vest. And who cares if it has too many pockets on the vest? But I really hope Hawkeye is much better than Black Widow movie. Okay, John, I vented enough. Uh, so I know you don't like giving scores, but here's my score. I give it a two out of five. I Listen, I, I still liked Black Widow. I, I enjoyed Black Widow. But what kept it from being higher level MCU was the fact that they butchered, to me, was the fact that they butchered the villains so badly. And I don't care that the villains weren't like they were in the comics. I, I could give two shits about that. I don't care. If you still do them well, and they just weren't done well. These were bad villains. These were not well-done villains whatsoever. And uh, and yeah, that's the big thing that held it down for me. But I, st- I still liked it overall. I still liked it overall. All right, next up. Sam Fisher writes, even though I get HBO Max through my university and I don't spend money to go to IMAX, I am going to go see Dune in IMAX or AMC Dolby Cinema or maybe see it twice, once in each place. And hopefully I would have finished the book by October 22nd. Rob, with the trailer coming out for Dune the other day. I mean, the excitement is palpable. I mean, you can, you can feel it now that, you know, we were talking, Rob, that that first trailer they released, I don't know, 17 years ago, it feels like that first trailer they released was clearly a trailer that was just meant to say to fans of the book, look at what's coming. Because that trailer was not made, that first one was definitely not made to appeal to the wider general audience. That was a trailer that was specifically made to get fans of the original novels amped up and excited about that this thing was coming this trailer i feel had way broader appeal and i watched that trailer dude and you had you had hints of the drama you had you got little taste of the political intrigue you got taste of the mythology you got taste of the action you got great sample sizes of the individual characters seeing skarsgård as baron harkonnen you know, I mean, this thing, it was already my number one most anticipated movie of the year since I had already seen A Quiet Place 2. It was already my number one anticipated movie of the year, but I mean, that just took it up a notch. And yeah, I think it also sent a clear message, Rob, that this is a movie you have to see in theaters. But I don't know, Rob, you're, you've had a couple of days to think about it now. What are your thoughts on that uh, on that trailer? Well, I'm obviously I'm deliriously excited for it. You know, as somebody who's literally been a fan of the book most of my life, actually the whole book series, and just just the staggering imagination on display and the scope and what they're attempting. It's funny. I've had a lot of people over the last couple of days write to me saying that they're not they're not hyped about it, that it left them meh. And I'm like, are we that jaded? Is our civilization that as movie fans, what 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 would you rather see? Like in terms of an epic science fiction literary based property, what more do you like? I don't understand is would if Mephisto showed up in the trailer, would that make you more happy? Like, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I don't understand. Like, I look at that trailer and I think to myself, I'm a I'm a savvy moviegoer that's been watching trailers for 50 years. You know, it's like what in this trailer was not impressive to you? And I dude, I was blown away by it. I'm like. Because a trailer's a trailer. It's supposed to give you, it's supposed to elicit an emotional response. And I can't, or excitement. I can't believe somebody just watches that trailer and says, eh, eh. Even if you know nothing about Dune, isn't it intriguing? 
Oh, I, 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 am, I am beyond intrigued, my friend. Beyond intrigued. All right. Uh, next up, we got Ryan G who writes, Hey, John, uh, just so you know, I like the first two G.I. Joe movies. You know, I, I didn't hate the two G.I. Joe movies. I didn't hate the two G.I. Joe movies. I, I mean, I didn't particularly like them, but I didn't hate those ones. Um, I like the first two G.I. Joe movies. I will put Snake Eyes off my top 10 list and into my honorable mention list and also put The Last Duel off my top 10 list to the honorable mention list as well and put Tick, Tick, Boom uh, on the top of the list. Well, Rob, well, you know, Rob and I talked the other day, obviously. Well, you already just heard my thoughts about Snake Eyes. And we were just talking the other day about uh, The Last Duel. I, I thought The Last Duel was going to be a charming uh, drama character, small-scale little film and it looks epic. It looks like it's grand in scale. The performances, I love the color grading in the trailer as well. I got really excited about that. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of things to look at there, Ryan. All right, next up, Ryan G also writes, Hey, John, uh, uh, maybe to the Stevie, probably meant Stewie Griffin voice. Again, it was laughable and too bad there wasn't a third G.I. Joe movie, but too bad. Uh, yeah. So the other day I did, I broke, I, I said, I can't remember. Somebody brought up something about something the antagonist should have done. I said, uh, maybe give our hero an antagonist to make it difficult <laughs> along the way. Maybe give him a little bit of character development. And then I asked the, the audience to said, do you guys know that reference? And immediately Stewie Griffin, everybody got it. So I was very, very proud to see that from everybody. All right. Murray Reich writes one of three. Have you ever had an experience where after waiting 25 minutes of trailers, there is another two hour of commercials? I have a feeling this is a Space Jam comment. <laughs> well, there is one technically, and it's called Space Jam 2. There we go. It was basically a two hour commercial for HBO Max starring LeBron James, Warner Brothers PR, and Looney Tunes as guests. I didn't think the first one was all that great, but it at least had a little charm to it. It was a movie made for the 90s. You had... Um, Bill Murray, Wayne Knight, and Danny DeVito, and the movie worked for me, at least for me in my circle. This new movie was complete trash. Don Cheadle was a horrible villain. Plot was so bad on a preschool level, and Porky rap battles nobody. I think the best part about the movie was that I left in the middle to go get a drink from the concession stand. Yeah, listen, I, I did not dislike the movie as much as you did, Murray. Rob, I can't remember if you had a chance to see it or not. But no, I um I didn't dislike it as much. I, I didn't like the movie. I, it's a bad movie, but I'm also not a big fan of the original either. And I know, Rob, you're not uh, either. And I will at least say for this bad movie, it, it had its moments for me. I'm not going to lie. It had its moments. And I, I for one, actually th thought the Porky Pig, when they call him, when Porky Pig's about to have a rap battle and Daffy calls him the notorious P.I.G., I, I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you I laughed quite a lot at that. Oh. And then also picking out all the, the little Easter eggs in the audience. And there was a few jokes here and there. It, it had its moments. I still is not a movie I would recommend. I still thought it was a bad movie, but I didn't think it was like um, completely like the worst thing I've seen ever. And I honestly don't think it's any worse than the original one, but that's just kind of my take on it. Thanks for sharing your experience with us, Murray. All right. Uh, Ryan G also writes. Hey, John, I watched the Fast and Furious movies so far. Seven is still my favorite one. Uh, sing it, John. When I see you again, it's been a long time when I'll see you again. I'm still w waiting on Fast 9 to come to rent. Still nothing, uh, nothing. Keep on waiting, I guess. I really did like Seven. and But my favorite one, Rob, my favorite one, I think, is actually Six. I think six is actually my, my favorite one. That to me was the peak 
of um, of Fast and the Furious. And I, I found it's been on a little bit of a steady decline, but still seven and eight, I still liked very much, even though they weren't quite as good as six to me. Uh, to some people, seven is the peak. But Rob, for you, it's five, right? Like five, it's that five. was your favorite. Five. It's absolutely five because that to me pushed the limits of credibility with what, it, and I still bought, bought into it all. There was never, my problem with six is at the end when they're on the uh, the tarmac with the, the uh, airfield, that airfield just goes on forever and ever and ever. And I, I lost, I lost my suspension of disbelief. But other than that, I do like six very much, but five to me was the pinnacle of everything I want from a fast and furious movie seven, you know, it it just started to get a little wacky and eight. I mean, there's torpedoes on the ice and nuclear (laughs) submarines. And I'm just like, you know, and then nine, not actually, I have to say, as somebody who has loved action franchises and I love genre movies and I love B action films and I, I have a whole gamut of things that I liked. Fast nine failed me in every one of those things. Mm. Like I'm discerning, even when it comes to watching low budget schlock, there's really good low budget schlock. And then there's just schlock. And I think the Fast and the Furious fran- franchise the first one is a respectable cop thriller, really. But then as it moves on, it becomes its own thing. And I just, Fast 9 failed me in every way I've loved the Fast and the Furious franchise, even to the point of justice for Han, because it turns out, oh, wait, he wasn't even dead. <laughs> so he was out there as a, he was a secret agent that now had a cover story about why he was dead. And I was like, what? Come on, man. No, Fail. <laughs> Yeah, it is what it is. All right, next up. By the way, John, I want to point, somebody wrote on Deadline that this fact, and it goes back to Snake Eyes, the most important fact, old, the new Shamhammer movie that opened today, cost $18 million to make. Snake Eyes cost $88 million. And in previews last night, old and Snake Eyes were like neck and neck. So regardless of where these two finish this weekend, old is going to be the bigger winner. Yeah, and, and listen... I'm excited about old. I, Dude, I'm I mean, going to go see it. I, I think the trailer, I think the premise sounds great. I haven't seen, I, I'm hearing mixed things about it, but they're mixed. Like, yeah, some people aren't, I'm hearing from some people aren't liking it, but I'm also hearing from some people that really do like it quite a bit. I know I've got a lot of enthusiasm to see it. I kind of wish I went to go see that instead of, uh, instead of uh, 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 snake eyes. Cause you know, Rob, think what you like. Epileptic monkeys are not cheap. Very expensive. <laughs> Have a huge rider that uh, in their contracts. There's a there's a lot of money there. All right, uh, let's move on. Next up, oh, we got Ryan G who writes, "Hey John, oh that was there's that one. This is another one. Uh, hey John, uh, should I watch? I uh, I may destroy you um, at her acting chops before I see Black Panther two. I hope she's not playing Storm. It should go to somebody else. Just my take on it. Well, okay. To be fair, Ryan, your take is pointless because. If you haven't seen her act, how can you say that theoretically speaking, if there was a storm role, that it should go to somebody else? If, you, if you've never even seen her act, then you really have no platform to say whether she should be the person to get it or not. And you've never read the script and you have no idea what her performances are like. So uh, again, like... It's very unlikely she's playing Storm. We only threw that out there as a hypothetical, fun kind of fantasy thing. But, I mean, if you haven't seen her... But, yeah, listen. 
you should probably check out I May Destroy You because not just because this girl is not going to be in Black Panther, but because it got a lot of awards, like a lot of awards attention. And she kind of became like one of the hottest names in Hollywood circles uh, for a while there. So it, it might be good just to check it out regardless. All right. Uh, next up. We've got uh, Ryan G uh, again. Oh, this is like a two of two. Okay. Uh, And again, I'm not trying to be racist. Okay. Stop right there. Stop right there. Just stop. One of the most racist things you can ever do is start off a statement with, I always, the, the, the red flags go up whenever somebody starts a statement with, I'm not trying to be racist. So that's, and I'm sure you're not, Ryan. I'm sure you're not. I'm just trying to give you brother to brother. I'm trying to give you a little bit of tip. Never start. Nothing tells people you're about to say something racist than when you start your sense, your sentence with, I'm not trying to be racist, but you know, it's, it's just not a good look. So just a little tip for you, brother. All right. Next up. Sorry. Let's, let's continue. We're not going to skip over Ryan. Uh, And again, I'm not trying to be racist. I'm just saying a fact here. And that I really liked Batgirl, but I don't know about this. Maybe be good, maybe be bad, we'll find out. And I'm really... Sorry, did we miss something? Uh, What's what's the one of one? Oh, he put them in the wrong order. Okay. Uh. He put them in the wrong order. Okay, let's start with one. Hey, John. I love Leslie Grace in the Heights. I'm not being racist. Again, you did it again, man. Starting your sentence. <laughs> it's just a bad look, Ryan. It's a bad look. I'm not being racist or anything, but they should have picked Haley Lou Richardson over Leslie Grace's Batgirl. Uh, and Barbara Gordon is not from the Dominican Republic. She's not Cuban. She's white. And again, I'm not trying to be racist. I'm just saying a fact here. And I really liked the I and I really liked Batgirl, but I don't know about this. Uh, maybe be good, maybe bad. We'll find out. And I'm really sorry for this, but I'm just saying, uh, just saying, pointing out about her. It's the truth. Well, okay. Here's the thing, Ryan. Whether Barbara Gordon is from the Dominican or not is completely fucking irrelevant. It has no impact or importance on who the character is. None. There is nothing about Barbara Gordon that saying her mother may have been from this country, that country, or another country, nothing about that is important to the character. Nothing. It's completely irrelevant to who she is. And it doesn't matter how the comic book pages portrayed her. This is a different medium. It's a different thing. So James Gordon's wife was Dominican or something like that. It's completely irrelevant. And Rob, this is the part that makes me laugh. This is the part that makes me laugh. You don't hear people going, wait a minute. In the comic books, Barbara Gordon is supposed to be five foot five. And they cast an actress who's five foot six and a half. Why aren't they true to the comics? Oh, that's that doesn't bother anybody. Oh, but the the, the pigmentation and the tone of her skin, that's important. That's important. No, it's not. I mean, to some character, depending on the nature of the character, it could be. There are some characters that that is a truism. Absolutely. Barbara Gordon is not one of them. Where her mother might be from is completely irrelevant to this character. Any more than if the actress they got had blue eyes instead of brown. Any more than if the actress they got was five foot five and a half instead of five foot five. Any more than, I don't know, 
That one has a freckle on her left cheek, and in the comic, she doesn't. It's irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant to this character. So I would have to ask, do you have a problem that the great Jeffrey Wright is playing Jim Gordon in the Batman movie? Because I don't hear anybody, at least we shouldn't be hearing anybody, but I don't hear anybody complaining about the amazing Jeffrey Wright playing Jim Gordon. Everybody got damn excited about that because he's a great actor. Because the, the pigmentation color of the skin that he has is not an important part of who the character is. For some characters, it is. For who James Gordon is, it doesn't matter. And it matters even less to who Barbara Gordon is. So if they wrote up their script and they just think Leslie Grace is a better fit for this character that we wrote than uh, Haley Lou, who Haley Lou Richardson, who was the other front runner. Clearly to them, the pigmentation tone of their skin was not an issue to the producers and the directors and the casting people of this movie they're doing. It wasn't important to them because they're two finalists. One has one ethnic background, one has the other. So it wasn't important to them. So they just went with whatever actress they felt best suited their character. And it shouldn't be an issue, man, unless it's vital to the character. So... Anyway, that's the truth. But I, I don't know, Rob, how would you respond uh, to that? Yeah, you weren't here when they made it because you and I talked about that those, those two were the finalists. But then it came out the next day that Leslie Grace, who I loved in In the Heights, that she was going to be our new Batgirl. But anyway, what are your thoughts on that? John, I'm a redhead fetishist. <laughs> and uh, frankly, I don't care the color of anyone's skin but when it comes to my redheads. I mean, I think that redheads are under attack <laughs> in our civilization. They're being erased. Uh, the gingers are, are uh, I think there's got to be something done. Now, I think in the with the Batman universe, with Jim Gordon being a, but Jeffrey Wright playing Jim Gordon, I think the new casting of Batgirl makes perfect sense. I have no problem with it. She's a great actor. She's beautiful. I'm sure she'll look great in the costume. That said, why are they erasing the redheads in the world? Why? <laughs> Why, John? I mean, when I was a kid, uh, Yvonne Craig, who played Batgirl in the Batman animated series, she also once played a green Orion slave woman in the third season Star Trek episode, Whom Gods Destroy. She was a fabulous redhead. Erased. Come on now. <laughs> I mean, this is something that goes back. So would I have preferred a redheaded Batgirl? I would have. But you know what? Maybe it's in the same universe as the Matt Reeves Batman. It should in which be. case, in which case, Jim Gordon, Jeffrey Wright, he's a great actor. I love Jeffrey Wright as Felix Leiter in the Bond films uh, in the Daniel Craig Bond movies. I think he's great when he was introduced in Casino Royale. I'm into that. Um, and they've they have they have race swapped Felix Leiter. Bernie Casey was Felix Leiter and Never Say Never Again. So I don't have a problem with that. You can you can race swap all you want as long as a good character, great actor. Don't care. Why do they have to erase? Why do they have to erase redheads? Why, John? Why? By the way, Felipe Santos in the live chat brings up a great point. Rosario Dawson was the Batgirl in the Lego Batman movie. No to complain. By the way, I, I will I will not complain about anything that Rosario Dawson ever does. No, I no me neither. No, no, she could probably. Uh, but I'm but, gonna I'm not I'm gonna stop my thought there. I'm not gonna say what I was gonna say. Filter, yeah, I don't huh? Think you should. Filter between the brain and the mouth. See, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. All right. Uh, let's, let's keep going here. Uh, Phil Costa, the Portuguese writes, Hey John, 
Here's some actors that you may not know that they're Portuguese. Uh, uh, Joaquim de Alameda, the bad guy from Desperado and Fast Five. Uh, Maria de Medeiros, uh, Bruce Willis's girlfriend in Pulp Fiction. Oh, I didn't know that. Danielle Rua, the cute girl from NCIS Los Angeles, a show I've never actually watched, as a matter of fact. I think that's great. Listen, because I get a big kick and I always go way out of my way to highlight when somebody that we're talking about is Canadian. And as a Canadian and as an Italian, so like whenever I'm watching UFC and on the rare occasion, an Italian fighter goes out, I'm like, yeah, we absolutely should. That is great. Yeah. We never highlight uh, the, and what, by the way, wasn't Dale Almeida, wasn't he also the bad guy? Correct me if I'm wrong. I might be thinking of the wrong guy, but was he not also the bad guy in that one Jack Ryan movie with uh, Harrison Dude, Ford? are you kidding? Absolutely. Yeah, Clear yeah. And present danger. He was and, so good and, in that. And in Fast Five. Yeah, well, he mentioned Fast Five, but I'm like, he was the same. Yeah, he was so good in that Jack Ryan movie. He Dude, was a great he was villain. so good in Clear and Present Danger. As a matter of fact, after I saw him in that movie, I'm like, he should be in every movie. Uh, He's a great actor. And he was just back. What did I just see him in? I know what I just saw him in. It was that, I can't even remember, guys in the live chat, help me out with the name of the show. It's that show that was on Netflix about a bunch of warrior nuns who are fighting demons and like he plays like the Cardinal in charge of this warrior nun sect. It actually wasn't very good. I watched the whole first season. It wasn't very good. Do any of you guys in the live chat know the one I'm talking about? Uh, nobody's saying anything. So I guess nobody knows what it is we're talking about, <laughs> but it, maybe it was just called warrior nun. Oh, yeah. Okay. Vito Bambino is writing in. Oh, Vito and Bill. They're also, yeah, it was literally just called Warrior Nun. You know what? It just reminded me of this time that Anne once said to me, John, what was the name of that movie about the female lawyer, the one with Aaron Brockovich? I'm like, Aaron Brockovich? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I just said. Guys, what was the name of that show, you know, with the Warrior Nun? You know, the show with the Warrior Nun. What's the name of the show with the Warrior Nun? And everybody's like, warrior nun <laughs> there you go yes that is the name of the show thank you guys for letting me know all right uh, yeah he he plays like uh i hadn't seen him in a long time he plays like this evil cardinal or something like that who, be- who becomes pope or something in it anyway it's good to see him back in that okay uh let's see here next up marie seifring writes Hey, John and Rob, sometimes a really uh, lively movie audience can be really fun. I remember years ago, I saw the trailer for The Bodyguard in theaters, and some dude in the back yelled, straight to home video, do you have a favorite audience react to a trailer? Um, I don't know, Marie, about a favorite audience reaction to a trailer. Like, it's, I remember, like, last night when we saw Snake Eyes, Rob, they played that jackass trailer. And I heard a lot of people giggling. And when it was over, some guys behind us were like, we're going to see that, <laughs> like sort of thing. So that's always good. But my favorite, some of you have heard this before. And Rob, I think you've heard this before too. My favorite reaction ever out of an, of an audience, uh, there's two. One was when I saw Battlefield Earth. Um, me and a bunch of friends who worked, I was working at a CGI visual effects company at the time. And we had a friend of ours who was one of the artists who worked on that movie. And we're big into sci-fi. So we went to go see Battlefield Earth. For those of you who don't know, it is in my top three of the all-time worst wide-release Hollywood films in history. It's one of the, the if not the absolute worst wide-release Hollywood film ever made. Anyway, we went to go see it. 
And when the movie's over, usually as soon as the credits start to roll, the audience starts shuffling around. They're grabbing their coats and getting ready. But the credits started rolling, Rob, and nobody moved. It was like everybody were deer caught in headlights. And I know five seconds doesn't sound like much, but a full five seconds passed. Five seconds of dead silence as credits started to roll. And then (laughs) some guy broke the silence. Some guy sitting up near the front yelled out, what the hell was that? And then the whole audience erupted into laughter. The second one, Rob, was when I went to go see the latest Fantastic Four movie at the 20th Century Fox lot. So there was about 200 of us went to go see Fantastic Four a little bit early at the Fox lot. And we came out of the movie and we funnel out of the the screening room on the lot and we start walking down this road on the lot. And there was like four, this group of four or five guys who were like ahead of everybody else. Like the, so all the crowd is coming out and four or five guys got out like 30 seconds earlier and they're walking down the road and suddenly they turn around, face the screening room and go, fuck that movie. And then they keep walking off. Those are two of my favorite reactions I've ever heard coming out of theater. Uh, and by the way, my comic planet sends in like a $20 super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you. My comic planet. Appreciate that man. Very much. Um, Rob, do you have any favorite memories of an audience reaction either to a trailer in the theater or the movie itself? Well, I always go back to the time I saw Friday the 13th 3d in the theater. <laughs> I specifically went to, let's call it a the rowdiest theater I knew. It was going to be rowdy, and there was, uh, there was a guy behind me. I mean, he was a it must have been six four. This monstrous dude, and he was huge. And when the movie started, it was very much a callback kind of an audience. And he said something. I don't even know if I can say this on the stream. It's not necessarily the, the he said. Put some lipstick on my dipstick at one point. He called that out. He's literally right behind me, and I'm laughing. Not 20 minutes later, he squealed and screamed. I thought it was a girl. And I turn around, and I didn't know what happened. And he was cowering. He was curled up in, like, a fetal position with his his head down. And, like, like, oh, no, 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 no. And I'm like, he went from being this kind of big burly i'm gonna get all the ladies to being the 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 most crying cowardly scared man i've ever seen and that was that was and that was just one person in the audience i have to tell you this was the greatest it's the single greatest movie going experience i ever had in my life was going to see friday the 13th part 3d in the town theater in downtown seattle uh i think it was 82 and it was, I can't even begin to tell you how great that movie theater was. I mean, they blew the roof off the place. But that man in particular, he started out with the with the comments and he was turned into a cowering, scared, gelatinized mass of, of, of just cowardly scaredness. It was amazing. I got, I got to tell you about this one other one. Remember the Kevin James movie Zookeeper that also has the amazing Rosario Dawson? Yes. It, it was... A long time ago at a CinemaCon in Las Vegas. And I think it was the first CinemaCon I had ever gone to. And I was there with AMC. And there was, as there always is at CinemaCon, 
every studio was showing big advanced screenings of their movies. And they did a big advanced screening of Zookeeper. And about 10 minutes into the movie, I Ray was with me. About 10 minutes into the movie, Ray, I could just hear... I'm like, Ray, dude, you're wake up, man. You're embarrassing me with the snoring. Five minutes later again. I'm like, dude, Ray, wake up. But then about five minutes after that, I heard more snoring, but it was from around us. And about 20 <laughs> minutes into the movie, you just see people getting up and leaving. <laughs> like at this big professional film industry wow. conference and people were just getting up and walking out and it's like yeah and you just hear snoring all over the place and uh somebody's saying yellow flash is saying ray does what he wants that's right ray ray Ora does exactly what he wants and that's these just the whole thing it was absolutely hilarious anyway uh, that's going to do it for our time here today, guys. Obviously, we start our show a couple hours late today, so we got to cut a little bit short today. I've got other things I need to do today. So thank you guys for coming along, even though this show was much like two hours later than normal. So thanks for coming along for the ride with us. Rob, thank you so much for being here on Late Notice. Where can people follow you and your great adventures online? Well, you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. You can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. And guys, of course, you can follow me uh, on social media, particularly on like uh, Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that. Just at John Campia. You can follow me there. Thanks a lot for being here, guys. Listen, there are more questions to come. There is going to be probably maybe even two. No, we don't have enough to do two. We're almost all caught up here now. So we're, we're going to have a companion video this weekend. Keep your eyes open for that companion that I'll be doing. I might even do it later tonight. We'll have to wait and see. Anyway, guys, special thank you to all of you who did send in those live comments and questions. Number one, because it gave us great fun things to talk about but number two you supported this channel as you did it and all of us involved here at the john campus show thank you guys so much for your support okay guys remember to do the four main things stay smart stay safe take care of yourselves and please take care of the people around you that'll do it for me for now guys my name's john campia and until next time my friends bye bye <laughs>